Hello and welcome. Today I'll be sharing from a conversation between Dr. Melody Maxwell and Carol Ann Jansen. Carol Ann was ordained in 1997 and has served at several churches, including First Baptist Dartmouth. She shares about her journey towards ordination, the influence of her Mennonite Brethren heritage, and her experience with doctoral studies and being part of the faculty of Acadia Divinity College. So my name, which has been my name since birth with no changes, is Carol Ann Jansen, and the place of birth is Enschede, the Netherlands, December 27, 1949. And I was born there because my parents were doing volunteer work with the Mennonite Central Committee. So even though I was born in the Netherlands, I was born a Canadian citizen. In fact, my father, you know, rushed right to the embassy to make sure <laughs> I was registered as a Canadian. We moved to Nova Scotia in 1954, so I was just, you know, four years old. There were no Mennonite churches here. I think my parents were probably the first Mennonites in Nova Scotia at all. My parents joined a Baptist church because theologically uh, that was the closest, right? I mean, there were significant differences, which I'm, I'll talk about a little later, but uh, we settled in a Baptist church. The first one was First Cornwallis Baptist Church and we were there until 1960 when we moved and we joined the Kenful Baptist Church. That's where I spent most of my years. I was a member of that church or part of that church I would say for 34 years. I have been involved in church leadership since I was old enough to be I started teaching Sunday school at the age of 16, and over the years that I spent at Kenville Baptist, I held almost, I was on almost every committee. Um, I was the first female deacon. I became a, fe a deacon, joined the deacon's board when I think I was 20 years old. I, I mean, that was a major, major change in the church, right, to invite a female. Uh, one of our student pastors, a student who was studying at Acadia, um, expressed some opposition to it. But it didn't hold much water with the congregation, and so, <laughs> you know, I became a deacon. I just continued to have lay leadership, exercise lay leadership, and it took a long, long while before I thought of actually joining the ministry. I had my own business. It was a craft and art supply store and teaching studio. And I had it for 13 years. Now before that I had studied, I had two degrees in history and I'd done historical research for about four years. And then I had this business. And even when I had opened the business, I had seen it as sort of a, a temporary kind of measure before I figured out what I really wanted to do when I grew up, so to speak. I kept wrestling with this idea of what I should do other than I couldn't see myself being in business for the rest of my life. So I would talk about it at our Bible study group, in our small groups, and other of my colleagues and peers were praying 
about it too. It was a matter of prayer. And at one point, we had a female pastor, Reverend Judith Gates, who said to me finally, Carol Ann, you, you can't, like I'm the type of person that likes to have things mapped out in front of me. And she said, you don't have to know the end of the journey before you take the first step on the road. So you need to just decide to step out and see what God has in store for you. So I did. I started at Acadia uh, in 1990 doing part-time studies and then went into full-time. I'm, I loved my courses. I had a good relationship with students. Now, my experience was not the experience of other female students, some of whom had had a rougher time than I did, who had um, negative opinions from male students. You know, I, as I think about it, I, I cannot recall uh, that, that sort of attitude. I do have fairly strong opinions, and so <laughs> one of my professors once said, now, Carol Ann, do you, might you have, a, he said this with a twinkle in his eye, now, Carol Ann, might you have an opinion about that? <laughs> so it wasn't that I was shy and retiring. Now, here's a rather controversial thought. I do not look intimidating. I am very short. I'm five feet in my stocking feet tall. And and I, I've wondered about that. I mean, I, there's no way exploring that, you know, objectively. But I've wondered if that has been part of my experience. The fact that, you know, I'm easily overlooked. And so I'm not a threat to anyone else. <laughs> I was in the Master of Religious Education and so I was, my ordination actually was to that. I was ordained to the Christian Education Ministry. I didn't have an MDiv. But once you're ordained and you've got a rev in front of your name, no one is going to be checking and thinking, asking about it. Uh, there were definitely more females in the MRE program. But there were a number of men. I mean, it became a bit of an issue because it was a two-year program, and some male students used that as a shortcut into ministry, you know, because then they would be ordained and they could be out in ministry in two years, so it was cheaper and all that sort of thing. And it did create controversy. You know, there was, there was a recognition that this is what they were doing, and there weren't any rules against it. So... There, there were males in, in that program, for sure. The faculty was very supportive, very. There was an acknowledgement. I mean, faculty w members would say to us, women, you have to know that it's going to be a hard road for you. And if you graduate, you're ordained, we don't know how easy it will be for you to find a church. So they weren't pie in the sky. They recognized the challenges, but they were supportive of our calls. I became good friends with Reverend Carolyn Palmer, who was the second ordained Baptist woman 
in Atlantic Canada. She didn't have good experiences in the ministerial milieu. She was involved in Christian education. She ran a Christian education center that we had here in the Annapolis Valley. And I wondered if that was one reason, knowing that some of her unhappy experiences, whether that colored mine or not. Um, but then later on, we had an associate pastor, Reverend Ida Armstrong Whitehouse, who was a pastor for a number of years, a associate pastor at Kemphill Baptist. So I, I did have those models, but it was interesting. Uh, nobody ever said to me until I was, you know, quite along, uh, Carol Ann, why don't you consider ministry? When I finally decided to do it, even my family was highly supportive. A lot of them felt it was overdue. Why hadn't I made this decision? And my, myself, I thought that too. Why, had, why was I so hesitant? Why did it take me so long to figure that out? Because I was always affirmed in my gifts, as spiritual gifts, but I don't recall anyone in my younger years saying, Carol, why don't you go into ministry? My grandfather was a pastor, my dad's father, and um, I mean, that was entirely volunteer, or he wasn't paid. My father was very involved in the church. There was this sort of feeling that that was what part of being a Christian was, and that ordination wasn't as much of a deal. Even when I came to Acadia Divinity College, I struggled with the concept of ordination, um, what, it, what it meant to be ordained, rather than just being a leader in the church or just exercising one's gifts. I did come to an understanding that uh, something that that made sense to me that gave me a sense of peace about being ordained. And I I would credit Reverend Maxine Ashley, who is the Dean of Students and one of the primary professors of Christian education, with helping me think through it theologically. So I had a number of part-time positions after I graduated, but my first full-time position was with First Baptist Church Dartmouth, as it was called then. I think I started with them in 97. Reverend Dr. David Watt was the senior pastor, and he just he just assumed that I would be ordained from that church. <laughs> he was very supportive. So I went before the examining board. I have to say that, that I tend to be an anxious person to begin with. The two most stressful events in my entire life, I think, were the examining council and the defense of my <laughs> dissertation, my PhD. I was, I was so, so tense about it because I had heard of the horrendous experiences that other women had had before me. So that would have been in the 80s and early 90s before convention finally passed its motion that women could be ordained. But once I went into the examining council, once I just kind of sat down in my chair, then a sense of peace came over me. Uh, 
Dr. Andrew McCray was the chief examiner. He was uh, the principal of Acadia Divinity College at the time. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I just answered the questions as best I could. Like, I was expecting questions that would require me to defend my view of women in ministry. And I don't recall many questions along that line. I had one vote against me in the final vote. It was because I refused to use the word inerrant in my approach to the Bible. I mean, I had been coached well in my statement of faith. I mean, a number of people on the examining council commended me on my statement of faith. One person said it was the strongest statement they had received that year. So that precluded a lot of potential controversial questions, right? But I had said, I had used the phrase that I believed the Bible was all-sufficient guide to faith and practice, which is the standard Baptist view of scripture, right? And one of the ministers who was from New Brunswick on that council pushed me on the inerrancy. And I answered, I gave him my approach that, you know, we didn't have the original manuscripts and that sort of thing, but that I believe that scripture I believed in the truth of Scripture, that Scripture was self-revelatory and those kinds of things. But he, he, he asked me, he kept pushing until the head examiner said, You've, you can't ask that anymore. You can't ask any more questions. You know, there's a limit on how many questions a person could ask on one issue. So that was that. And, but then I did get one negative vote. So I always thought that was probably the reason. I was ordained in 1997. It was absolutely lovely. Dr. Watts sort of let me do my own thing. He just assumed these things happened <laughs> by, by happenstance. But I spent, so I, I crafted it almost virtually by myself. And uh, it was just lovely. It was one of the highlights of my life, really. Uh, I asked my father to give the ordination prayer I had four symbols that people brought up to put on the communion table that represented what I thought was important about ministry. And one, my mother was involved in that. She brought up, I think she brought up a family Bible. The church was hugely supportive. They'd had women in leadership in that church. Uh, I can't remember whether they were ordained or not, but. Reverend Joyce Hancock, who would be known to Canadian Baptists. She was a long-term missionary and was ordained. She had preceded me at that church. She had a long ministry at First Dartmouth before she went to the mission field. So women had had a place there already. And so it was, it was a very strong, supportive community for me. I mean, I preached not frequently, but regularly. I uh, did a service at a local senior citizens' residence. And as has happened at every church that I've been at, the seniors gravitated towards me. 
So I ha I became the unofficial pastor of senior, of senior adults there. Probably would have stayed in ministry there longer, but we'd had a change of pastoral leadership. And I thought, now it, now's the time. I either do this PhD or I don't. I had wanted to do this for some time. Um, I am a student by nature. I could be a perpetual student. <laughs> I love studying. It's like an excuse to read and think. Um, and But I couldn't find, I had sort of given up the idea because the only institutions that I was aware of that did a, a PhD uh, in religious education were either in the States or in Europe or Great Britain. And I knew I couldn't afford that. And then a friend of mine, one day she was also in Dartmouth where I was ministering, and she said, do you know that the University of Alberta has a degree in the secondary education department that has a specialization in religious and world education? And that was the first I'd heard of it. And so we both started exploring it, and three of us, there was another ADC grad, we all went out and started that program together. So we stormed the religious and education <laughs> uh, cohort. And uh, yeah, it was a rich, rich experience. I moved to Alberta and I lived in Edmonton for four years, 1999 to 2003. And while there, I, I attended First Baptist Church and then in the last year I was there, I was actually on the pastoral staff. Like I came home, uh, came back to Nova Scotia in the summer of 2003. I was working on my, my dissertation, all my coursework was done. So there I was one day at home working on something and I received a telephone call and it was the president of ADC saying that uh, the professor of Christian education was leaving and would I be willing to come and fill in. Well, I, I just I could have fallen over, but knocked over with a feather. Uh, it was just out of the blue because I had sort of, I had reconciled myself to the, to the fact that I probably would never have a teaching position. I was doing the PhD for myself, a lot for my father, who would have loved to have done further education and to strengthen my my own ministry and just as a sense of accomplishment for myself. I told you I, I love studying. And so but but there were very few positions, seminary positions in Canada. And I thought, well I'll never you know, and I was older, you know, I was my late forties. And then so to receive the call from my own school and from my own home area. It, it's just, it was like a gift from God, literally. So um, I started part-time, uh, so I was called to, to teach in, uh, teach in edu Christian education, and by that time they no longer had the MRE. Church life and church ministry had changed dramatically in those few years. Um, there were no longer 
ministers of Christian education in the bigger churches. They were uh, changing to, you know, family and other kinds of ministries, and there just wasn't a demand for Christian education ministers. So I was, I was called for that, and I was also called to work with ACBAS, Acadia Center for Baptist and Anabaptist Studies. And they did not have a director at that time. And then as time went on, just things kept adding and being added to me until, and I cannot remember when I actually came on full time. Um, I did have to take a break. I, I was, once I came on faculty, even though I was part time, I just found it difficult to find enough time to work on my dissertation. I received the two extensions that were allowed and I faced, you know, the looming final deadline and thought, I don't know how I'm going to make it. And having put in all that time and money, and my father had passed away by then, he passed away before I finished, I thought, I have to do it for him, if not for myself. And so I had to quit my position. I'd hoped for a leave of absence, but I wasn't permitted that. So I thought, well, I'll have to, I'll have to quit, and maybe I'll never come back again. But I had to make that decision, right? And then, um, and then I was asked to come back again. I spent that time exclusively on my dissertation. It was. Uh, a phenomenological interpretive study of how children experience church through their five senses. It led me into uh, areas of exploring sacred space in terms of the built space uh, and also children. So children's spirituality, children's way of knowing, children's experiences. And I graduated in the fall of 2007. I became Dean of Students, and I was Dean of Students for quite a long time until I retired. And then um, I became, during my tenure here, I was instrumental in establishing the Charles Taylor Center for Chaplaincy and Spiritual Care. And I was director of that until I retired. And then I taught on the side. <laughs> And uh, I guess, and every once in a while, I'd look around the table and I think, "Oh my goodness, I'm the only woman here." For the longest time, I was the only one, and it was a little odd, I have to say. I mean, there are all these, you know, men, some men, some of them who were world renowned in their field, all had strong. Uh, disciplines, that is biblical studies, theology, church history, and here I am sort of a generalist. I, and I was the faculty secretary, you know, kept the minutes for a long, long time. I was surprised when they took me seriously, <laughs> you know, uh, but they did most of the time. So for two years after that, I was the Atlantic Director for the Canadian Bible Society. And then just now, in June 2022, I've begun an interim ministry at a local Baptist church, Centerville Baptist Church. Yeah, I have alluded to it already, 
But I have to say that I did not experience the pushback that so many of my actually close friends, close female friends in ministry have experienced. And I do not know what to attribute that to. I've had excellent relationships with a variety of people, and I tend to get along well with people on a wide theological spectrum. I mean, I have my own perspective, of course, my own strongly held beliefs <laughs> and opinions, but, you know, the world is diverse. People are diverse, and there has to be room for, you know, a variety of opinions and approaches, and so I just try to get along with people as I can. And as long as they're ready to accept me as a sister in Christ, whether it is in leadership, formal leadership, or as just, you know, as a fellow Christian, I can usually get along with them. I'm a fairly analytical thinker, so as I look at what's happening in the church and in the church universal as well as the, the, the Baptist church, I can see the limitations, the challenges to women very clearly. And uh, even in the church where I am now, I was informed, even though there was a strong vote, I was informed that there was a strong majority in calling me. It wasn't unanimous because there were a few people who did not want a, a woman in the pulpit. However, I've experienced nothing but warmth and, and acceptance there at the church. So maybe those others are just not attending. Uh, you know, they've bowed out, I don't know. But I'm quite aware of the challenges. I know it's, it's an issue that the church continues to face. And I had thought, honestly, I thought by now this would be over and done with. I have a second cousin who is academic dean, I think she's academic dean, of Ambrose. Mennonite background, she had done her PhD, the U of T, she belonged to First Baptist Church, and she was a professor of New Testament theology at Newman College, a Catholic college in Edmonton. How about that for sort of diversity? <laughs> So at one point, the two of us were having a conversation, and we were, I guess the topic of women, women's role in the church must have come up. And she said to me, oh, dealt with that 20 years ago, over and done with. And she, just, she wasn't even interested in really exploring it as an issue anymore because it had settled in her mind, and she was just, she was just moving on. So I kind of felt the same way. You know, we've, we've dealt with this. We, we've worked it through scripturally, theologically, socially, socio sociologically, and, and yet it just seems to keep erupting over and over again. And I think now in North America, with the recent political, religious trends, it, it's more of a factor than ever before. I, I feel dreadfully sad for women that... Uh, that face so much, I mean, because I've heard horrendous stories of women who were not allowed in some churches to touch the pulpit. This would have been in the States. 
you know, so I, I do find that dreadfully discouraging for their sake. Um, in my own personal life, I'm not discouraged. I have ample opportunities for ministry in whatever role I choose, you know, to enter, really. I mean, I guess I just pray that things will continue to progress in our own denomination. I, I don't think we're going to slide backwards, but on the wider scene in North America, I do find it discouraging. Uh, you know, I did my undergrad from 67 to 71. Those were the days when, you know, the feminist movement was in full, the first wave of feminism was in full swing. And so I engaged with it intellectually. You know, I read stuff, books or articles or whatever, and would have discussed it with friends and colleagues and that sort of thing. Mm. Depending on how you define feminism, I guess I would define myself as a feminist. That is, one who believes, the core of my being, that women are equal before God and also in society are should have the same opportunities and protections as anyone else. Uh, I, I also believe that in many spheres we need to have affirmative action that, you know, uh, just the circumstances that, of, that women grow up in do not allow them the opportunities to explore or to train for or to prepare for certain careers or involvements or whatever. I mentioned that, you know, I've grown up in the Baptist world here in, since I was a young child. But my parents were very strong Mennonite brethren. And so I would say that I was formed more strongly in the home than in the church. It's in the home that I received my religious education, my spiritual education. Now there came a point when I had to make my own mind up, you know, what, what route I would take in life and in terms of faith, my faith commitment to God in Christ and whatever that it meant, but the precepts that inform the Mennonite or the Anabaptist worldview, strong emphasis on the Sermon on the Mount on living your faith day to day, on the peace issue particularly. That has shaped my being and my approach to life and ministry. Throughout my life, I would say that I've had more fraught arguments or discussions about war and peace than I have had about women <laughs> in ministry. So, yeah. That's, that's been an important part of my life. Thank you, Carol Ann, for sharing your story with the project. If you are enjoying Called to Serve, please take a moment to rate and review our podcast and share the episode with other listeners. You can follow Called to Serve on Facebook and Instagram and learn more about the project at calledtoserve.ca.